Super Talk Mississippi media production. Kickstart your adventure now with a new Gud Golf Cart from Country Carts of Brookhaven. Gud Golf Carts are assembled right here in Mississippi with the best features around. And best of all, they're street legal. Country Carts of Brookhaven, 401 Highway 51 South, phone 601-748-0454. What's up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Colin Brister. Uh, we have a football game this week. Uh, football is back back in a big way. We had a couple of week zero games this weekend. Um, I saw some very upset like takes about it, but I would say shitty football is better than ba- no football at all. Correct. Um, like, yes, I think anyone with two sets of eyeballs could – we'll get into it in a second. What's up, man? Not much, not much. Yeah, it, it was football. It counted. Um, it was kind of wild. There were two close games. I don't know. I enjoyed it. It was fun. Yeah, so – as I was saying on Friday, I played in a golf tournament this weekend at Old Waverly and a four-man scramble at that new Mossy Oak course, which, by the way, oh, man, that place is pristine. Um, <laughs> no, it, it, it's unbelievable. Like, it, it even exceeded my expectations, and my expectations for it were absolutely through the roof. That property is awesome. What they've done with that place is incredible. I say what they've done. They're continuing to build. They still haven't finished. I think they're building a clubhouse and other stuff. That place is badass. They always run a first-class event. I had a lot of fun. Um, we won our flight, which is nice. I got a little, go. bit of, a little bit of cash, some pro shop gear. I'm actually wearing a free Mossy Oak shirt I got yesterday from uh, the gift card I had to spend. I, you know, you give me – I'm a pretty, like, responsible spender guy, but they gave me this gift card for 300 bucks to the pro shop, <laughs> and I knew I wasn't coming back anytime soon just because football is about to get nuts. We don't have any shows planned back there, so I was like, I have to spend all this now. And uh, so I went nuts. Um, but it was it was fun. We got rained on at the end. Other than that, it was pretty solid. I had a, I had a hell of a time. It was a badass weekend. Point being, so, wait, go ahead. Uh, so West Point's like the small town mecca of golf in Mississippi, it feels like. I mean, you, like if, I know you may say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but it really is. I mean, Waverly. No, I was being serious. Yeah, no, Waverly speaks for itself. That Mossy Oak property is, is unbelievable. I mean, it's it's like – so it's like a like it's a, it's like a link style golf course in the sense that like it's an American link style golf course. So it's not like like when you turn on the British Open, it doesn't look exactly like that. But it's the same type of design. And so what they've done with this property, it almost feels like you're not in Mississippi anymore. I mean, it, okay. it, it's crazy. And that like for it being in the middle of West Point, Mississippi, there's some pretty awesome views on the course. Like it it it's awesome. I I loved it. It's a uh, it's a cool course. If you can like, if, if you can find your way there to get on and play it, I would recommend it a hundred times out of a hundred. So, which one's better, it or Waverly? They're just different. Like, it's two diff- completely different styles of golf. Like, uh, we were having this conversation amongst our group on, uh, I guess it was Saturday or Sunday. Like, if I'm gonna join as a member of a like club to where I'm playing, you know, two to three times a week or every weekend or something like that. I'd probably want to play Waverly every day because it's more of just your traditional American style golf course. But if you're ever looking for like a change of pace, that is the like that you won't find a better one like anywhere. Like Mississippi, like not just Mississippi, Mississippi excluded. That place is awesome. So it's it's a different style of golf course. So like as far as just your traditional one, I'd probably end up wanting to play Waverly every day. And that mostly because maybe that course kicked our ass a little bit, and if I, <laughs> I'd be really damn frustrated trying to play that Lynx course all the time. But point being, they're just two different styles of course. I don't even know if you could really choose one. They're both absolutely phenomenal. I mean, I don't know. Waverly speaks for herself. They've had a Women's U.S. Open. They just had the U.S. Women's Am there. I mean, like, it's 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 everything you'd expect. It was awesome. Um, 
Well, the good thing is, uh, while you were playing golf, nothing happened in the sport in the sports world. No, but we had football, and that was kind of my point. So I started watching it on Saturday night, um, and I was somewhat in and out. Like I, I, we were paying attention to the game. Like we had like a like I was at the uh, I was going out in Starkville. We ate a bite of dinner there, then went to this like Calcutta party or whatever. So point being, we were going back and forth. But I was I was plugged in for I would say sixty to seventy percent of the game. Um, I think anyone with two eyeballs can see that that was a bad football game with two really bad offensive lines. But to see, like, the Pat Forty column for, like, we should kill week zero, like, why? (laughs) How would that have been any different five days later, one? And number two, who cares? It was still awesome. I've got a, not a theory, but I was going to ask you about this. So I'm sure if you watched enough of it, you saw how terrible the tackling was, right? Yeah. Is that a concern for every team going forward, like into week one? Do you think because the camps aren't as physical that that's going to be an issue going in for a lot of teams in week one, or do you think that would just specify to those two teams? Dude, I think part of it's the rules. I don't think these okay. kids want to get thrown out of games. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. But, but so you do, It's a combination. It has to be both, right? Because if you're, I, if you're tackling less in camp and you're doing less tackling, I, granted, I don't want to say they're doing less tackling drills because I think they're, I think coaches actually are more educational now than ever about how to tackle because they don't right. want their starting safety to get tossed in the first half of a game. But to your point, if there's less physicality throughout camp, which is a smart thing to do, it probably affects it some. I mean, there's no way you're going to be as sharp if you're doing less of it, so yes. But I, I also think a lot of it is the rules, and these kids don't want to get thrown out of games. So... I'm never going to call a football player scared because it's just this incredibly violent gladiator-type sport, but to say they're maybe a little bit hesitant sometimes when going at a guy, I think that's fair. Yeah, but I'm just kind of talking about once these guys have the football and they're established runners, I mean, there's not really targeting at that point. You go it, in it, with your head and you hit their head, though. If they like, like My thing is about that is I somewhat agree, but if you're going in at a guy hard and you lower your head even a little bit and the running back lowers his head, guess who's getting flagged? Yeah, I know, I understand that, but it just felt like there. It, it, I mean, I get what you're saying about the targeting. It just felt like the tackling was because usually, I mean, and technically the, the game didn't have a ton of points, Florida and, and uh, Miami, but technically defenses are ahead of offenses at this point in the game. And man, it was just missed tackles galore. So I just wonder how that's going to play into next week for teams, you know, and, and seeing if if that's going to be a common theme for week one, and if it's going to take some time to get you know the fundament, fundamentals under you. Yeah, that's fair. And so, Florida wins the game. For a while, it looked like Miami might win the thing outright. Yeah. Um, my initial takeaway is I think Florida is going to be fine. I think their offensive line is not very good. I think. What, Price is horrible. What? Price is horrible. Okay, so I think that'll get better because if you looked at it last year, they were about ready to get rid of him and what Mullen did with him last year at the end of. The, as we, I think I said this before, and I th- I'm pretty sure you agree. What Mullen did with Franks at the end of last year didn't get talked about enough. And I think this game is probably a pretty good example of that because he kind of just is what he is. And for Mullen to get him to play good, competent football for as long as a stretch that he did last year is fairly impressive because I think at this point, and I, not that I'm making a sweeping assumption about one game, but we have enough of a sample size last night. What he did last year, I think, is maybe more of an exception than the norm. I think maybe the Miami game was more the norm. Yeah, I think that's fair. But where I've got a question about Mullen is, are you had two recruiting classes, right? How do you not have somebody that can compete with this dude? You know, like, I just feel like that you're in the state of Florida. After two recruiting classes, I feel 
feel like there should be somebody you should have signed by now that could, I, I don't know, supplant this kid. Like some kid that with a strong arm from California. Mm, possibly. Possibly. Uh, that you didn't think was good enough. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, does that is that fair though? It feels like you, you recruit at Florida for two two classes that yeah. there's at least gotta be somebody that can compete with this cat, right? Yeah, I, I think. I, I don't know. I mean he is a look, man. I was talking to a, 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 a staffer about the recruiting rankings the other day and about how some of that's a bit of a flawed system. You get that fifth star on you, no matter how you perform in college, that's going to carry you a long way in college as far as clout. And so it's like you almost just keep waiting and waiting and waiting, but at a certain point, like your point, Frank is a junior at this point? Yeah, he is a junior. So is he going to start two more years at Florida, yes or no? No, okay. uh, surely not. <laughs> you say that. If if they want to win and compete for the SEC East, you're not doing it with Felipe Frank. That's fair, but they won the game. Not that I'm not being like, well, they won like scoreboard guy. I'm not. I'm just saying they won the game. If they win nine to ten games again this year, are they really making a quarterback change? Uh is that? I get what you're saying, but if I, I I'm taking the under on nine to ten wins this year. Okay, I mean, that, no, that's that's a whole different conversation. That's fair too. I agree with you. I'm just saying. From an optical standpoint, if they win nine or ten games, can you really yank the kid's job away again? No. Not again. Can you yank it away after that? Yeah, well, they did bench him last year and then brought him back. Um, man, I don't know. It's just a weird situation. And, and Mullen gets a lot of credit, and a lot of it's due for, hey, he makes these bad quarterbacks look good. And I get that. I'm like, well, why not go recruit a good quarterback? You know? <laughs> like, just go get a good one and, and see what you can do with him. Um. So that game had. Did you have any other sweeping takeaways? I actually think that kid that beat out. Um, that beat Martel. out Martel, I think he's actually going to be pretty I good. Do. He was just running for his life. Yeah, yeah, and he won't be running for his life like that all year. I mean, these ACC defenses, and they don't play Clemson. Um, they're going to be a lot, a lot uh, less talented than Florida. Now he made mistakes, but I was overall more impressed with him than yeah. I thought it was a detriment. I thought he was pretty good. Yeah, and, and good on and, and this won't get talked about. Everybody's giving Tate Martell a hard time, but good on that kid for hey, I got beat out. I'm gonna go help the team and move to receiver. I thought that was kind of a cool move for you know, he's taking a lot of flack over his time in college. I kinda thought that was cool. I agree, and I would say most of that flack is was brought on by himself. But sure. again, if you're gonna swallow your pride and in his case he uh, he had a large heap of pride to swallow because of some of the things that he did, but you're right, to go stand out there and to go play receiver and be like, All right, I'm gonna try to help this team, um, is, I think that's a cool move. Maybe it's a sign of a kid growing up because you do forget. Yes, you know, I mean, honestly, I'm not going to try to take up for the kid, but if you had put me in a docu-series for three months <laughs> as, at 18 years old, you would have probably thought I was a jackass too. The same might could be said now at 24, to be completely honest. So yeah. at, at 18, 19, like, these kids are so exposed now to so many different things and media coverage is so different. It's just like you almost never allow these kids to grow up. I see the same thing in the NBA where people had already written off D'Angelo Russell. And it's like, I mean, Bill Simmons was one of the few guys I heard it. He's just like, hey, am I the only one just pointing out that he's 22? Like, maybe you're a little more mature at 25, 24 than you are at, like, 18, 19. Like, let's give it God time. God knows I was. You know what I mean? Just people don't act, like people don't give it time now. And granted, yes, I, I, did, I didn't watch that docuseries that made people think he was a clown. And, yes, he was calling Nick Starkle trash. Wasn't that who it was? Yeah, yeah. Like, all that, whatever, I get that. I'm not saying the kid's completely innocent, but, like, kids mature, kids change. Like, if I had everything broadcasted, I said at 18 and 19 on a national platform, um, 
your mom wouldn't be happy. Yeah, y'all probably hate me more than you already do. Um, so <laughs> anyway, um, you probably so, would be doing this podcast to be fair. Yeah, no kidding. Good on him. Um, that's about, about that's about all ahead. the sweeping takeaways I had from the game. Did you have anything else that stuck out? Uh, stuck no, out? I don't uh, think stuck out's a word. I don't think Florida's going to be uh, competing with Georgia to win the East, though. I will say that. I'm not ready to count him out yet because if the offense plays better, that Florida defense is nasty. It is. It is. I okay. Defensive line. I, excuse me. I'll leave it there. Yeah. If I made you pick right now, who finishes second in the East? And, and remember, Florida goes to Missouri. Florida or Missouri? I think I'd lead Missouri, honestly. Yeah, I think I would too. But if Florida goes up there and they they both come into that game, what Missouri's eight and one? I can't remember if they played Florida before or after Georgia eight and one, whatever. And Florida's like in the seven and two range. If Florida went up there and played a Mississippi State like game like last year and won that game, it wouldn't shock me. But I'd probably still give the edge to Kelly Bryant and Missouri. I say that without having seen them play a down of football yet, but still. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I'm with you. I would lean Missouri. Um, I think Florida's the third best team in the East right now. But, you know, there's obviously 13 weeks of football left to play. And then you had the late night game, which at the place, was I, was, I, the place I was at didn't have CBS Sports Network, so Ooh. we couldn't watch it. And then, granted, the hotel I was staying at didn't have it either. So I was just following along with the score updates, and then I see what happened at the end of the game, uh, final score. I'm not going to spend a lot of time breaking down Arizona-Hawaii <laughs> on this podcast, but I think Kevin Sumlin may be in trouble. Yeah, he's getting fired. Uh, he's going to make – here's what I want to find out. Is Kevin Sumlin going to make more money from buyout or coaching? Because I think his buyout in Arizona is going to be pretty steep, and I know his buyout in Texas A&M was steep. Look, That's going to be it. That's going to be a research project for me today. I want to know if he's made more out of bounds or actually coaching. Look, man, if you want – like, I, I'm all for people just peaking and coasting. If he peaked in 2012 with Johnny Football and is coasting and making millions <laughs> off it and is just going to ride off in the sunset, fine. Do whatever you want. I'm fine with it. But couldn't you tell that this was probably going to be a disaster when they made the hire? I didn't like this hire from the start. I thought it was a great deal for, him, for someone because I was like, holy crap, he's making a ton of money and he's going to get to go live in Tucson. And it really isn't going to matter what he does. Yeah. And look, someone's not as bad as the A&M fans made him out to be. But I'm not. that's not the guy that if you're Arizona, you want to try to build your program either. Uh, he, he got a lot of talent inherited at A&M. You're going to just get talent by default being at A&M. And he won, you know, he won, look, he won eight games a year at A&M. He's not a horrible football coach. With that being said, he's also not the guy that you want trying to rebuild your program. Yeah, I would I would certainly agree with that. Um, and then the, what, the, the game ends at the, the Khalil Tate gets tackled on the one. Yeah, yeah. I thought he was going, he was going to go. And if that defensive lineman doesn't hawk him down, he scores. Is Hawaii good or something? I know that sounds yes. stupid, but, like, you know, most Hawaii teams ever since, you know, I mean, you think Hawaii, you think, oh, yeah, Colt Brennan, Sugar Bowl that time. But, like, other than that, they've had some really bad football teams. They have to to, to be, beat even a bad Pac-12 school. They have to be much better than they've been. Yeah, I mean, they've got an explosive offense. Man, they turned the ball over six times and scored 40, 45 points. Like, think about that. They turned it over six times and scored 45 points. That's our point. That's not a lot of punting. Um... So what I did not mention is, uh, I, I, throughout this entire podcast, we have a 25-minute-long interview with Jonah Jordan, who covers the Memphis Tigers for the Daily Memphian, that I didn't even plug at the beginning of the show. This is the first mention of it 20 minutes into this podcast. So well, that's pretty strong. Uh, Jonah gave us a lot of good stuff. Um, 
If he listened to the beginning of this podcast and wondered why I didn't mention him, he's probably going to be confused. I'm just not all there this morning. Um, it was it's great stuff. We're about to play that for you. That's what, kind of the main thing we got today, and then we'll come back and talk. So maybe some old Miss matchups, what we learned from the interview, and then maybe I have uh, actually also have a list of stuff I don't miss about being in school because school started back today. Um, so I made, a, I made a list of stuff I don't miss about being in class and being a student. We're just going to not pretend that Chad Kelly's going to be a starting quarterback? Uh, we'll get to that, too. We got some other <laughs> stuff. Um, so why not for now, why don't we get to the Jonah Jordan interview? Um, so he covers the Memphis Tigers for the Daily Memphian. It's a startup media outlet in Memphis. Um, I read a lot of their stuff. They do really good work. Um, not to crap on the commercial appeal because it's a Gannett problem, not a newspaper problem. Right. But Memphis deserves to have a media outlet like the Daily Memphian doing the work that those guys do. I mean, I, I, uh, I've never, I don't know him personally, but a guy named Drew Hill covers Memphis basketball, um, does a really good job. Obviously, you have Jeff Calkins, um, you have Jonah. They do really good work, and it's not just sports. They cover the city well. Memphis, a city that size, deserves to have an outlet that cares that much about it, and I'm glad that's happened there a year in. Um, like I said, not to crap on the commercial appeal because that's a Gannett issue, not a Memphis issue. Yeah, that one starts up top. Um, so he, he does really good work. You can find him at uh, underscore Jonah Jordan on Twitter. You can find him at DailyMemphian.com. If you're trying to get ready for the game and get educated from the other side, that's a good place to start. He's a good writer. He does all kinds of good stuff. So if you're looking for the Memphis perspective, uh, one, listen to this interview, then go read a lot of stuff. He talks about a lot about the Memphis defensive line, um, a lot about Brady White, kind of how he sees Memphis winning this game. He's fairly confident Memphis is going to win it. I don't necessarily blame him. Um, so with <clears> – <throat> Excuse me. Without further ado, we will get to this Jonah Jordan interview. So, with here he is. All right. We now welcome on Jonah Jordan. Jonah covers Memphis football and I believe a little bit of hoops for the Daily Memphian, a relatively new kind of startup media outlet in Memphis. Um, you can find him at DailyMemphian.com. His Twitter is underscore Jonah Jordan. Does great work. If you're trying to get in ready for the game this week from the other vantage point, that is definitely the way to go. Um, relatively new media outlet. I think it's still fair to call it. What's up, man? Yeah, yeah. We're a year old. Um, it's been great in covering. Uh, I covered basketball and football last year, and now now we're doing – we hired somebody to do basketball, and I'll help out a little bit of that so I can take over football full-time. But I'm excited for the season. Really excited. Yeah, yeah. It's a like like we were talking a second ago. It's an interesting concept, and I think it's a it's something Memphis deserves as far as a media outlet that covers the city as in depth as you guys do. And I just the first year been pretty good. I, I guess now you shift your sole focus mainly to football, still helping out on basketball a little bit. What's just kind of the change been like? Oh, it's been great. You know, I switched over from two four seven sports, and I I love all the people over there. It's been it was fantastic. I mean, I think I was there for three years. Um, it was a fantastic run. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I have nothing but great things to say about all the people over there. And um, I really just love the venture we're taking on. We're, we're, it's kind of like a service to the city. We, don't have, we didn't have a newspaper here that was Memphis-centric, that was all Memphis all the time. Um, the good and the bad. and what's Just giving the real inside story of what's happening in the city. And I think we've done a good job. We obviously have a lot of room to grow. We're only a year old, but I think it's a really great concept and that we're just building on every day. We got a football game this week, um, oh, yeah. which seems like it's just kind of like crept up on us. It's just, I don't know about you, but like the first 
like week and a half for Ole Miss camp, it was kind of like, okay, like things seem fresh and new. And then you kind of get into the last week and particularly the third week, it's kind of like, all right, they kind of know what they're doing. They kind of know what their problems are. That's probably not changing between here and here in game week. And now it's just a matter of getting there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's been a, it's been a, a whirlwind for me. I don't know why it kind of felt like fall camp just blew by. It just felt like yesterday I was standing there for on August 1 just saying, hey, I really want football to be here. I don't know why it flew by so fast. I guess um, I guess we've just all been looking forward to this game. Memphis has been working on a lot of stuff the last few weeks, but like you said, I mean, their problems in week three camp are probably going to be their problems here at kickoff. So we'll start kind of, kind of big picture on this because the the dynamics leading into this game are fascinating to me because for Ole Miss, they're an underdog to a school. I guess technically, like as far as it being, you know, not you know, not Power Five, Group of Five, like that's kind of an interesting dynamic because I think and Ole Miss should rightfully be an underdog. Like you know, the Vegas Vegas doesn't lie and they're not in the business of losing money. But you go up to this game, but it's a game from the Ole Miss perspective. It feels like they have to win because for Ole Miss. You're not only battling trying to get back to relevancy again, you're battling trying to re-engage a largely apathetic fan base from who's had kind of good reason to check out over the because of some of the stuff that's happened over the last three years. And you have this you have this game and it feels like you're gonna know the trajectory of Ole Miss's season by the end of September, because you go Memphis, Arkansas, you get Southeastern Louisiana, and then you get Cal. And if they're gonna find a way to six wins and get back to a bowl, they kinda have to make their hey now. And obviously, it starts with the opener because it's it's a huge game for them. Just from from where Memphis at as a program, what is like what are what are I guess the fan base and and you can this I guess goes for the team as well. How do they view this game? Oh, I mean, they expect to win it. I mean, it, Memphis is a point now as a team, as a fan base, as a program that they expect to win games like this. It's at home against a, a power five school that is struggling. I mean, we all can't sit here and say the sanctions didn't work. I mean, they have. Ole Miss has got pretty hit pretty hard. Um, Memphis should win this game. They should. Um, it's a rivalry, whether Ole Miss fans want to admit it or not. I mean, it kind of is. Like, this is a big game for Memphis. They want to win this. I mean, it's huge. It's, they're probably going to be their biggest game of the year outside of the Cincinnati game at home at the end of the season. I mean, Memphis tries to play one Power 5 school um, a year. They kind of got stomped by Missouri last year. They had a bunch of injuries in that game. Um, that kind of prevented them from being able to compete at the level that they expected to. So they want to make a statement. They didn't get to make their statement last year, and so they want to this year. It, it's been an interesting series the last couple of times because Memphis has beaten, and I say last couple of times, you're really kind of going back to 03. Memphis has beaten the last two 10-win teams Ole Miss has had. It was, I believe, Eli Manning's team in 03, um, that D'Angelo Williams team beat Ole Miss in a shootout. And then, of course, you had 2015 where Memphis and Paxton Lynch kind of ran Ole Miss off the field in what was a very – just kind of this probably the microcosm of what was such a strange season because Ole Miss beats Alabama, LSU, Auburn, and State that year and somehow manages to lose the West because they had losses to Memphis, <laughs> Florida, and Arkansas. Just a very weird year. So this series has been super interesting the last couple of times, and it's it's, it's never – Seems like it's never been short on storylines and and I say drama. The last game wasn't necessarily close, or the one in fifteen at least I'm referring to. It's it's an interesting series. So kind of starting starting from 
I guess my vantage point, I'm having trouble getting a feel for this game, like how it's going to go. Like last year, Ole Miss was so bad defensively, and they had so much talent on the perimeter, you could pretty much get a gauge of how each game was going to go because they were going to have to score a lot of points and just see if they could string together enough stops. Like in your mind, how do you see this game going? Like Memphis wins if what happens? If Ole Miss's linebacker core is as bad as it was last year, they're not going to win. Uh, they'll get picked apart. I mean, I just they won't like Memphis's offense is they're too smart, too good, they're too fast. If the linebackers are as bad as they were last year, and if they're not able to get pressure up front with an offensive line that's still kind of putting its things together, there's no way Ole Miss is going to win. Like, I, if, if you get into a shootout with Mike Norvell, where you're trying to run as fast as you can, if you're trying to score as many points, you're probably not going to win. I've seen it too many times. Ole Miss can't win a shootout. They can't. I don't think their defense is good enough. So if that's what you're going to try and do, I think it's going to be tough. Um, if you sit here and tell me, hey, Patrick Taylor has 150 rushing yards and two touchdowns, I think Memphis is probably winning that game. So <laughs> I just think, like you said, I mean, their talent on defense just isn't there. I think it's interesting, though. Mike Norvell has familiarity with Rich Rod and uh, the defensive coordinator, the former coach of Colorado, whose name is escaping me right now. Uh, Mike um, McIntyre. Yeah, I mean, he has familiarity with both of those guys. They played in the Pac-12. I mean, he's played in the Pac-12. He was OC at Arizona State. So he, I think he kind of has a feel for what he's going to see, more so than if Phil Longo had been the uh, offensive coordinator this year. Yeah, that's interesting you say that because I, I tend to agree, particularly on the linebacking courts part. And what's interesting to me is obviously Ole Miss makes this shift to a 3-4 and they've, they've accumulated a little bit of depth on just kind of really de facto depth because they had so many young linebackers play last year that they have some guys that are a little bit experienced and played some football. And that's kind of led by Mohamed Sanogo, who really emerged as a guy that was a really good linebacker on a really bad defense last year, I guess is the way to put it. But you go to this 3-4, and so they now have playing with four backers, and their two on the outside are basically – pretty much all converted defensive ends. They stuck some of their bigger inside linebackers that were kind of longer out there, but it's mainly that outside linebacker position is all former defensive ends. And so I, I just wonder, like, the key to me in this game is, is, as far as the linebacking core, are they going to be better just because they have to cover less space? This defense seems to maybe suit Ole Miss's personnel well and suit it well, I mean, kind of maybe make a little bit of amends for the lack of talent and particularly depth they have back there. And so that's fascinating to me. On Memphis's, like on the offensive side of the ball, what is Memphis's biggest question mark? I mean, is it simply replacing the the star power you lost in the backfield last year? What what kind of is it? Well, it's not even replacing Daryl Henderson. I mean, I think they've done a good job of being kind of a thing by committee. They have so much talent back there. Kenneth Gainwell, who is a Mississippi native, is going to really come into his own this year. He's probably going to take some snaps in the backfield or take some snaps in the slot. Then they were able to get Louisville, or Troy transfer, former Louisville wide receiver, Travion Samuel, and he's been fantastic um, in fall camp. And then Joey Magnifico tight end should see some should see some more catches this year. I think uh, he didn't, at times last year, he wasn't integrated into the offense, and I don't think that was, I think that was kind of by design and kind of by on accident because they needed so many blockers because of the team they ran with uh, Daryl Henderson. But I think they're going to be able to, not replicate it, but at least make up for it in some ways. Not having Daryl, they'll be able to make up for having not having Tony Pollard for sure. Because at times last year he was just a spot receiver, which not to hate on him or bring him down or anything, but it was just how good Daryl Henderson was. I think their biggest question mark is the tackles right now. Obina, Eze, and Scotty Dale. How can those two guys perform? 
their, it's going to be their first game starting. It's going to be their first time seeing major, major minutes at those tackle spots. I think the inside of the line will be fine at those two tackle spots. If you tell me Memphis' offensive line failed on Saturday, it'll be, I would bet it's because of those two guys. It's interesting you say that, too, because if there's one position – that Ole Miss, even through the lack of scholarships and all that last year, because you, you mentioned that at the beginning of the show, and that's a, I think that's a pretty astute observation because I don't think a lot of people realize it. Ole Miss went into a couple games last year with like 51 scholarship players coming, and like 55 I think dressed out, but there were a couple games where three were had no prayer. They just dressed them out just because. And it, it's, it's hard to go in and win any kind of football game like that against any sort of quality opponent. But one area they've been able to generate a little bit of depth, and some of it's through some JUCO guys, um, is on the defensive line. And so I, I think that that's probably Ole Miss's strong suit there. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like in a three-down front, but Ole Miss really struggled to generate an exterior pass rush last year. They didn't have the Marquise Haynes from 2017 or anything like that to put pressure on the outside from quarterbacks. And so that's probably going to be a key spot in this game, as you mentioned the two tackles and maybe Memphis having a little vulnerability there. It's like, can Ole Miss generate a pass rush from the outside? But on the other side of things, is interesting to me, undoubtedly the biggest question on Ole Miss's team is the offensive line. And it's not necessarily their first five, it's the depth after that. They're a twisted ankle away from potentially having two true freshmen in the game at one time. Memphis seems like they have a pretty good, pretty veteran front seven. What should you expect from Memphis's pass rush and really just their front seven in general? I mean, I, this is the first time I've sat here before a Memphis Tiger season and said, man, that defensive line is kind of nasty. I mean, they haven't had this in a long time. I think since even when they were good on defensive line, and I think 2014 with Tank Jakes and Martin Effetti, they didn't really have the depth. And now they do. Like, I wrote about it this morning. The Will Clemens, Cole Mastron, two top 700 guys coming in, three stars coming in who could play. But they're not going to play heavy minutes like they probably would last year. Last year they had a problem with they had four offensive linemen, John Tate, Jonathan Wilson, Joseph Dorcius, and O'Brien Goodson who couldn't take him out of the game. They were playing so many snaps, and that led to injury. And they're not going to have that problem this year. Uh, Bryce Huff is converted to a defensive end. He was one of the best in the nation at uh, creating tackles for loss last year. They're having Everett Cunningham, a Juco guy, they're so ecstatic about coming in. And he's going to play. He's going to play heavy minutes. And then you've got those four guys from last year, four or five guys from last year. Desmond Hawkins, a defensive lineman, has come into his own. So they realistically have... 10 defensive linemen who could play, that they're going to rotate in and out. They're just going to find a combination that can finally get to the quarterback. I think Bryce Huff is probably going to have a really good game. If Ole Miss's offensive line struggles at all, it'll be because of Bryce Huff. I think that's eventually where this game is won and lost because Ole Miss, at, like, as far as their defense goes, I think at full strength they will just be better just because it's the first game, no one's hurt yet, they haven't dip, gotten into the depth. I think they could be competent enough, and when I say competent enough, I'm thinking if Ole Miss is going to win it, their defense is, I mean, you're thinking 25-ish point range, maybe 425 yards. I know that, I know that doesn't sound like a strong defensive performance, but based on where they were last year, that would be a, a drastic improvement. I think this game is won, on, won and lost on the Ole Miss's offensive line because if Ole Miss has some interesting skill pieces, particularly at wide receiver, even though they lost, you know, the, the the headline guys in DK Metcalf, you know, AJ Brown and Demarcus Lodge, but they have some interesting pieces. Elijah Moore is a really speedy slot receiver. They use Tylen Knight in a lot of different ways. They have two big guys in Miles Battle and Demarcus Gregory on the outside to go with kind of the old guy in the room, Braylon Sanders. 
and they're really deep at running back. The deepest position probably on the entire team is at running back, and I think that's because, you know, you have an established guy in uh, Scotty Phillips, excuse me. You bring in a five-star in Jerion Ely, and then they had a kid that was kind of a late addition to their class, Snoop Connor, who came in um, as an early enrollee and re- has really made the running back room interesting. Um, he was committed to Memphis at one point. I know all about him. That's exactly right. He was. And so he's come in, and he's probably benefited from being a January enrollee more so than anyone, not probably other than one of the backup quarterbacks. And so they can hit you a lot of different ways out of the backfield, but all of that's going to be rendered moot if Memphis's defensive line is living in Ole Miss's backfield. Because if Matt Corral doesn't have time to throw and they can't run the ball with any consistency, I don't think Ole Miss has a prayer. I would honestly argue if that happens, it almost doesn't matter how the defense plays. Yes. Well, it's going to be an interesting thing because at times last year, we don't know how good Memphis's secondary can be. We don't. Last year, Memphis's defensive line couldn't get pressure on the quarterback, gave them forever to throw, and that created a lot of time for a quarterback to start scrambling. If Matt Corral starts running around back there and is able to get free and start gaining yards, that's going to put a lot of pressure on Memphis. Linebackers going to put a lot of pressure on their cornerback. And that's what happened last year. I don't expect it to. There's a new defensive coordinator, new scheme, a lot of new players. But if Matt Corral starts, I, I don't know if he can. I've seen it. I've seen some tapes of him moving around, um, creating, getting some yards with his leg. But if he starts doing that, <laughs> Memphis' defense could be in trouble. That 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 right there could be their trip tonight. They they've had a lot of problems with that in the past. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because like from. I would think, especially from Ole Miss's fan base perspective, I think they view Matt Corral as kind of a, almost a veteran guy in this sense, which is weird. But he's a redshirt freshman, and all of the guy, all the three guys competing to be his backup are all true freshmen. So Rich Rodriguez walks into a quarterback room where the oldest guy in the room he has played limited snaps in four games last year, and that's kind of his veteran guy. It's in they might be the only team in the country with four freshman quarterbacks. I, I don't know that for a fact, but like I, that would, I would you'd be hard pressed to find another one, but. As you mentioned, the secondary, that was kind of going to be my next question, is kind of the surface glance at Memphis's defense last year, you would think, well, the the secondary was susceptible to giving up big plays, but it sounds like you're saying that's partially a result of the defensive line not being able to get back after the quarterback and the secondary being hung out to dry a little bit. Is that fair? Yeah, and they had some problems at safety last year. They had some health problems. Um, Andre Thomas, the best safety on the team, probably the most athletic guy on the team. Uh, he was hurt last year. He had a shoulder issue. And then they really struggled to find somebody else at that safety spot. They didn't really find Sanchez Blake. He, he didn't hit a consistent groove until late in the season. So your safeties aren't great. They're struggling to tackle. Josh Perry was back there, and he just wasn't great. He's been converted to linebacker this year, which I think is a better spot for him. So that was a problem. Then the corners are out there for too long. T.J. Carter really struggled at the beginning of the season and didn't really find himself until late. So, yeah, that, that was the biggest issue last year, is just watching them and it's like, okay, the quarterback's back there for 30 seconds and then he gets to take off or somebody's going to be open after that long. Is there anyone, before we shift to offense, and I have a couple questions about quarterback, What is there anyone on Memphis's defensive line right now? You mentioned it kind of being a kind of a low-key, nasty unit. Is there someone that maybe is not on a – outside of Memphis radar that you're going to learn about here soon? I mean, I don't know how much Bryce Huff is on people's radar, but him, maybe Everett Cunningham, that guy, he's huge. He's huge and he's fast and he's nasty and he's kind of mean. He's kind of mean. So if he if he plays 
as much as I think he's going to play, he could cause some problems, and Ole Miss fans are going to really know about him pretty quickly. Brady White last year put up really solid, sturdy numbers. I mean, 26 touchdowns, I believe, nine interceptions, completed 63% of his passes. It almost seems like the knock on him for someone that would watch, like, if for someone that watched Memphis in a limited capacity and was just looking at it at a surface glance, it would almost seem like the biggest knock on him was that he didn't push the football down the field enough. Is that fair, or is that just, like, is that a product of the scheme? Well, I mean, they kind of came into last year wanting to do what Riley Ferguson did. Just throw the ball down the field, whip it around, hand it off a little bit, just go, 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 go. And they quickly realized they weren't going to be able to do that with Brady. Not because he can't throw the ball, it's just not the type of athlete he is. Um, He came into last season coming off of, I think he had two surgeries to repair a Liz Frank injury, and then he got a high ankle sprain pretty early in the season that limited his mobility. Um, He just couldn't move around in the pocket at all. Really, and that cost him a couple games. That cost him the Navy game. He couldn't move around. It was raining. He was getting pressured a lot, and he took a couple sacks he shouldn't have, especially late in the game. So, I think the biggest knock on him is people say he can't throw deep. I really don't think he was asked to. At points last year, he did when he was asked to, but I think he'll be a little bit better. I mean, I think he did struggle to throw the deep ball a little bit, but I think that was just a product of his health, and now he's healthy. He's healthy. He's worked. He's so far removed from those surgeries. He's not even thinking about it anymore. His ankle is healthy. He's really, really moving around a lot in the pocket. He's running for first down. I think we didn't really see a healthy Brady White until the end of the season. His arm looks better than it did at any point last year. Um, But, again, that could just be because the bottom half of his body is finally healthy. So he looked better than he did at this point last year, which is, I think, a great thing for my and it's effective even if he's not pushing it down and maybe even if there was some truth to him struggling with the deep ball. It's a lo- it's still effective because he doesn't make mistakes, though, right? I mean, nine picks, and I can't imagine all of those were completely poor decisions. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, he, he's – I think only one of those I watched and was like, oh, man, that's the worst decision I've seen Brady make. And I think that was against the SMU team, which was a really weird game. He only had a few games with two picks. He never threw more than two in a game. Um <laughs> He really impressed me with what he did at the line. He drew people offsides a bunch all year. I mean, I think he won them. He he really, really, really messed up that Houston team because he kept drawing them offsides. He he's great in uh, run pass option. He which and now he'll have the added dynamic of he can he can run the ball a little bit. Um, but yeah, he he's a very smart guy. Very he knows the offense. He's known it since Arizona State. You know, he played for Norvell at Arizona State, learned the offense there, and then came to Memphis and. Pretty much the same, a couple added things, a few new things here and there, but he was able to pick up pretty quickly. Hey, looking past this game for Memphis, like if they were to win, where are they losing? I, I mean, you look at the, you run down the next of their schedule, like Temple's got a new coach, you're not losing at ULM. I don't know what South Alabama is necessarily. Navy, you get the fourth week. Like, how, how far could this thing go before they really face a challenge? Memphis fans hate that Navy game. They hate it. Probably with uh, good reason. That, that triple option is, is... It's not real football, let's <laughs> be honest. Um, no, I think it's really, really tough scheme. I really respect those guys. But, I mean, Navy ruined their undefeated season in 2015. Uh, after they beat Ole Miss, they ran 7-8-0, and then they ran into that Navy team that just stomped them into the ground. I mean, it was terrible. I was up in the press box watching it, and they, couldn't, they had no answer for the triple option. So, I think that... 
that's a game right there to watch. Tulane's a little frisky. They're a little bit better this year. They beat Memphis last year, even though Memphis was Memphis struggled with injuries last year, and that Tulane game was one where it was bad. I mean, they didn't have guys all over the field. Um, they're looking for some payback against Tulane. Houston, they got a new coach. Uh, that quarterback is really, really good. Uh, I don't know. That defense is still like Ole Miss's. It was one of the worst defenses probably we've seen in a long time in college football. I mean, they gave up like 90 points to Army that just destroyed them. And then end of the season, Cincinnati. That Cincinnati team is going to be tough. That defense is going to be really good. I really liked watching Cincinnati last year. That coach is great. That game right there could decide where the conference championship is. As far as, lastly, kind of closing up, as far as the environment Saturday, is it going to be 2015-like? I know that's probably not the same magnitude because that felt like a game where Memphis as a program really just kind of took flight. I mean, I did not, like, in sense like, really kind of jumped on the national radar in terms of kind of the end of, like, Fuente and then you transition in Norvell. I mean, on, on, from a, like, as that is the baseline, where does this game rank as far as, like, buzz and quote-unquote hype, if you want to call it that? What do you expect the environment to be like Saturday? Every time they've had a Power 5 team come to the Liberty Bowl, um, they've, they've sold out. UCLA, this feels like the UCLA game from a few years ago where UCLA came in kind of not having the best season, kind of not having the best hype around them. I think it was actually the second game, second or third game of the year. So they were really struggling. Nobody really knew them as a team. I think their coach at the time was on the was on the hot seat. Um, and Memphis won that game. They beat them, but there was still a sellout, a great crowd. There was still a lot of excitement around the game. Anytime a, a Power 5 team comes into the Liberty Bowl, there's going to be hype. But it's SEC. It's Ole Miss. This means a lot to a lot of people around here. I mean, it's the school 45 minutes to the south. I mean, it is a rivalry to Memphis, and it's a big deal. I don't know. It'll probably be like that 2015 game. It'll be like that 2015 game almost every time Ole Miss comes into the Liberty Bowl from now on. And that place can get loud, too. Uh, I have Last question, I have this theory that the Liberty Bowl is either hotter than the surface of the sun <laughs> or colder than Antarctica. Is that backed up by science? Yeah, so that's a fact. I mean... <laughs> It literally, I think uh, it was two years ago, where it was so hot that they ran out of water. So hopefully that doesn't happen again this year. I think they're a little bit more prepared. I think I think that won't happen, and I think the, the forecast is pretty good. I think it'll be like 80 degrees or something like that. They say, they say that, but by game time it'll probably be like 95 with humidity through the roof. No in Memphis. Well, last thing i got to get from you, prediction. I have feet to the fire here. We usually make ours on Thursdays on this podcast, or I guess Fridays. What? What? How do you see this going? Man, um, I'm going probably 38-28 Memphis. I, I, I just don't think Ole Miss's defense can keep up. But and I think Memphis will probably create a few turnovers. Matt Corral may throw an interception or a fumble or something. So I'm going 38-28 Memphis. I will probably flip flop eight times between now and Saturday. <laughs> <Me> too, man. <laughs> But so 38-28 Memphis? Yep, that's what I'm rolling with. Uh, Patrick Taylor. And that was Jonah Jordan. I really appreciate the time because I uh, I completely lied to him. I think I said it would take 10 to 15 minutes, and I kept him for 25. Um, <laughs> so he was very he was very generous with his time. Uh, as you just listened, he gave a lot of really good insight. He's a smart dude. Um, I learned a lot. I, like, I've studied up, particularly in the last week, just kind of on Memphis and some of the stuff they've they've like some of the stuff you'll see from them. But I even learned a lot from that interview. Um, 
So we'll start with the weaknesses. So the first thing that stuck out to me is, one, if you're doing a, like a flyover view of Memphis and their defense, you're thinking, okay, that secondary is susceptible to giving up big plays. Um, but he seemed to think that a lot of that was because of Memphis' defensive line not being able to generate consistent pressure on the quarterback last year and kind of leaving the secondary out on an island, and they had some injury problems at safety and some other things last year. Uh, that apparently is not going to be the case this year. He described Memphis' defensive line as nasty, um, which is not good news for an Ole Miss offensive line that could be going in there without Alex Gibbons. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. Um, and look, I think Memphis has some really good players on the defensive line. I will say this: I went and looked at their roster. They don't have a ton of size on the defensive line. Now, that's not a you know a major thing. They don't have a bunch of guys over 280. So I'm interested to see how that plays out when they with them using you know a lot of speed and quickness. Brady White. Um, he talked about a lot. We talked about it a lot during the interview, as you just listened to. Um, a guy that put up really solid, sturdy numbers last year, 26 touchdowns, 9 interceptions, completed 63% of his passes. I think he was at like 8 yards per pass or per completion. Um, kind of the knock on him was that maybe he didn't push the ball down the field enough. As you heard Jonah point out, it was one of those things where he wasn't always healthy. Um, he had a uh, Liz Frank. I don't know how you pronounce it. Liz Frank. I'm not a doctor. Um, type thing that he repaired. Um yeah, I'm not a doctor. I just pretend to be one on radio. Um, but so he, he said it was more of a product of him being not being healthy. He did struggle with the deep ball some, but look, if you're not making mistakes and you're still averaging eight yards of completion, that and you're completing sixty three percent of those, that's still fairly effective. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, he was by no means an ineffective quarterback last year. I am interested to see how he plays uh, against Ole Miss. I don't think. Look, Ole Miss's defense has got problems, but I don't think Memphis is going to be able to just sit back there and pick them apart five and seven yards at a time. I do think they're going to have to go over the top at some point uh, and make plays over the top against this Ole Miss defense to find a bunch of yards on offense. So as you say that, a lot of the you say you sit back there and pick them apart. Another thing Jonah mentioned was I was asking about a question mark um, on Memphis's offense, and I was expecting him to say running back just because of the star power they lost. Right. But they do have, a, as he pointed out, a couple pretty competent guys back there um and so like it wasn't necessarily that he mentioned the two tackle spots he mentioned they kind of a little bit weak there a little bit vulnerability and as we've talked about a lot on this podcast Ole Miss struggled to generate an exterior pass rush last year consistently and if it sounds like at least from what Jonah at least thinks if they're able to do that they're going to be able to get to the quarterback if they don't it's going to be a long day yeah um uh, I mean, you're completely right. If, if Ole Miss isn't able to get to the quarterback, then it's going to be a problem. Look, if Sam Williams plays well, I think Ole Miss got a really good shot to win this game. Uh, if those defense then don't play well, it's going, it might be a long day in Liberty Bowl for them. Yeah, and so that's what's going to be interesting about this is how much do you depend on those edge guys to generate a pass rush? How much can you get from the three down front with the defensive ends? Like, where does the pass rush come from? Can you generate it from the outside? How do they use the edge players? Um, Kadir Shepard. We talked to Kadir Shepard on Friday. Uh, he called the club on his hand, quote, a second weapon. Um, Love him. God, he's fun. Yeah, he, he's, he's, he's fun. He's, he's my favorite interview on the team. He's, he's great. Um, and, but he, you know, passed. And I, I'm, not, I'm not being facetious here. Obviously, with that club on your hand, catching balls is hard. So some of his pass coverage responsibility, how does that go? How much do they use he and Sam Williams to generate a pass rush? That will be fascinating to me. That's a key spot in this game. The exterior out, the edge. Basically, just call yep. it the edge. It can, like, what, how do Memphis' tackles hold up? Where does Ole Miss generate that pass rush? That's a big piece of this game um, that I'll be really interested to watch. 
Um, on the other side of things, it's obviously kind of the same thing. How does Ole Miss deal with Memphis's defensive line? You know, is Matt Corral running for his life? Because one of the things, as you heard Jonah point out, if Matt Corral is able to use his feet like you think he can and what you saw in limited action last year and able to kind of create more time even if they're getting back there, he's gonna. he thinks the secondary, that's not going to bode well for a Memphis secondary that was susceptible to giving up big plays last year. And so can Matt Corral escape the pocket? Rich Rodriguez, as they've talked about during all fall camp, they're going to try to move the pocket some. They're going to try to get the ball quick out of his hand some. What does that look like? It's Matt, Does Matt Corral have time to throw, I guess, is a simplistic way to put that. I guess what stat do you need to see from Matt Corral? Uh, I, let's phrase it like this. If I could give you one statistic from Matt Corral's game against Memphis, what do you want? How many times is he knocked down? Okay, so you'd rather have sacks than picks? Sacks slash knockdown, yeah. Okay. Or hurry, whatever you want to call it. Like, how how long does he have to throw? Is he getting hurried every play? Is he having? Yeah, I, I'd like to see that more so than interceptions. So let's I think the interceptions could be a product of that. So you think if if Ole Miss's offensive line holds up, you think they win the football game? I won't go that far because I don't. I need to see something from the defense that I Fair frankly enough. haven't seen. I think they have a good chance. I would say if the offensive line doesn't hold up, Ole Miss has no chance. <laughs> yeah. I absolutely agree. If Ole Miss's offensive line doesn't hold up, oh boy. Um, that's I'm, I'm trying to think any other takeaways from that interview. That was a uh, really good stuff. Um, not really. I mean, Ole Miss is going to have to run the ball consistently well. Because um, as I was telling Jonah, because you know Snoop Connor was once a Memphis commit, so he knows all about Snoop. And I was I was telling him as we've talked about on this podcast, he's really kind of the guy that has made the running back room really interesting. Um, he, yeah. He's kind of the guy that that's really kind of made it harder to guess how you're going to deviate the carries or d- divvy up the carries, excuse me. Um, so Ole Miss can hit you with a lot of different ways out of the backfield, but none of that matters if the offensive line sucks. I'm completely right. If Ole Miss's offensive line getting pushed back every play, it doesn't matter if Walter Payton's taking a handoff. It's not going to be a pretty sight. Um, yeah, no, that's 100% true. And – I guess finally, how does Ole Miss's secondary hold up? Like, how, I mean, it's kind of a veteran group, not a ton of depth there. But you know, Brady White's not a guy that's known to push it down the field. But it sounds like he's at least capable. Like, how do they how do they hold up? Do they get beat deep a lot? Like, how, what, I'm interested to find out what happens there. Yeah, I mean, look, there's a lot of storylines going into this game that you know, frankly, we're just not going to be able to, to answer until they get out on the field on Saturday. I kind of glad this game's at 11 a.m. though. It's a, a good way to start off your Saturday. It's going to be hotter than the surface of the sun, though. And I'm going to be home by 5, 6 o'clock at night and actually get to watch football, so I, too, am glad it's at 11. Yeah, and there's not really any good games during the day, so you'll be kind of set. I Last question, so Big J shit, I asked Jonah if it is scientifically proven that the Liberty Bowl is either hotter than the surface of the sun or colder than Antarctica, and he wholeheartedly agreed. Okay, but we're going to pull up the weather right now and we're going to see what it says. All I don't right? trust it. I saw that thing where they're like, oh, yeah, it's 66 with a high 86. Talk to yeah. me when I'm sweating through my shirt on the sideline there. It's already, it's already getting hotter. It's 91, 69 tonight. Shocker. The weathermen were just duping us. <laughs> it is cool all week, and then on Saturday it hits 91. Yeah, whatever. I'll believe it when I see it, like I said. Anyway. Um, so that was really good stuff. I hope that educated you more on Memphis. Joe's a good dude. Look forward to meeting him on uh, Saturday. Uh, that was kind of one of those things where I just reached out. It was like, we need someone on the podcast. Dude came through in the clutch. 
Um, so are you are you staying in Memphis Friday night? Or are you driving up Saturday morning? No, I'm going to make it a day trip. I'm going to sleep in my own bed. I'm going to wake up early. I'm going to drink some coffee and some Red Bull. Drive up there, cover the game, and come back. It's going to be a day are, trip. Are are you like the guy that gets there three hours before kickoff, or the guy that gets there like 15 minutes before? Uh, somewhere in the middle. I like to get there like okay. an hour ish before. Um, on the road, it's a little different. I'll get there early because I get tired of sitting at my hotel, and frankly, there's not a whole lot to do. Home games probably an hour ish, just because there's not a ton for us to do pregame other than to make sure everybody's dressed out. That's dressed out, no weird braces or tape wraps or whatever. Or, you know, sudden injury stuff like that. Um, I will get up out there early for this one because, one, I imagine traffic is going to be an absolute disaster, and I don't like being rushed. So, like, there's been times when I've gone to, like, short day game away trips where the traffic gets bad and, like, you think you gave yourself plenty of time and then you actually didn't. So I'll get up there pretty early for this one. I'll try to be, I'll try to be in the stadium by 9.15. You're going to leave in Oxford by, like, 7.15? Uh, no, I mean, what, Memphis is an hour 10 from my house? Is it really? Yeah, okay. hour 10 from my house, but with traffic and everything, you know, it might, you know, I say 9.15, that'll probably realistically put me there at 9.30, get some food in me, let the Red Bull kind of take take flight, and then we'll be good to go. So, so have you found out if you have seating yet or not? No, I don't know if I'll find that out until I get there. You get to watch the game in a, in a, garage, in a garage or something? I will not be doing that, um, because <laughs> I will uh, I will make a scene. Um, so... <laughs> I mean, I need a seat, man. It's it's not that complicated. Put out some some put out some some oh. temporary tables, whatever it has to be. Just give me a seat. I have to like I'm working. I have to view the game. <laughs> you you you're too good for the ESPN cameras. I'm kidding. No, I'm, I'm kidding. not too. It's, it's like that. It was like that kidding. Arkansas Super Regional where the guy was like, "Well, you can go watch it in the media room." I was like, "No, I I I, I, I my job is to, I get paid to watch the game and 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 opine on it. Like I I, I have to watch it." Oh, like, I'd have stayed in Oxford if I would have known I'd been watching on the television. <laughs> They're going to save the 10-hour trip. Yeah, so uh, hopefully I'll find a seat. I, I, that's really going to chat my ass on a Saturday if that's the case. Anyway, um, that's about all the thoughts I have. We'll get more into that this week. We'll get into picks, some other stuff. Um, that will not be the last of Ole Miss Memphis, but we're gonna we, we've got to ration out the, the Ole Miss Memphis analysis throughout the whole week. So we'll stop there. Um should I go to my list, or should we do Chad let's, Kelly? Let's do your list first. Okay, so Ole Miss starts school back today, and for the first time since I was five years old, I guess, I will not be going to a uh, academic institution. I'm, I'm done with school for forever. Forever? You're not getting a Ph.D.? No, I'm not. I'm never walking back into a classroom. Um <laughs> So I made a list of things I do and don't miss about school. Um, okay. So one is the first three weeks of school when everyone decides to go to class. The first two weeks, you technically have to go to class. And if you don't get on campus at 8 o'clock in the morning, you don't find a parking spot. I mean, it's just simply not possible. I've burnt uh, over a half tank of gas driving around campus one time trying to find a parking spot. Okay, you want to know what I did my junior and senior year? What? This was This was the best idea I ever had. So I only had class on Tuesday and Thursday my junior and senior year. So what I would do is I didn't get a parking decal, and I would go to the visitor's parking booth, like, uh, you know, on University Avenue going up that way. I would get a visitor's parking pass for $2 each day and park wherever I wanted. Not a bad call, because honestly, that may end up, I don't know, I'm not a math guy. It was $4 a week for four semesters. I don't know. It was like 100 It wound up being like $150, so it was probably the same cost, and I got to park wherever I wanted. It's cheaper. Parking things are like 230 now. Um Jeez. Well, it depends on which one you get. If you get the commuter, it is. Um, 
The second one, I don't miss test banks. Not a big test bank guy. Having to memorize a bunch of answers um, because you know what? the test is going to be pulled from a test bank. Like, like that. yes, it makes the test easier. I get that. I get what you're saying there. But why am I going to school if this is what I'm doing? Well, you, you're not supposed to be doing that. You're supposed to be learning the material and reading your notes and studying for the test. Not cheating, Brian. Um... Yeah, no, 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 it's not, that's not cheating. I mean, if you're going to be lazy and pull your test answers from a test bank and there's test banks available, like, sorry, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get from point A to point B. I don't need all the extra stuff. I mean, I'm not saying I never use the test bank. I'm just saying I'm not going to comply. I'm happy to use test banks. Yeah, exactly. So, like, yeah, you know, um, the next thing I had was 8 a.m. class. Not a big fan Wait, of that. You- well, the, my second year, first year of grad school, second semester, when they still picked the classes for you, and you didn't get to pick on your own, we had all 8 a.m. Oh, dear God. So you were 8 a.m. Monday through Friday? Uh, Monday through Thursday. We didn't have Friday class. Oh, thank God. Um, so that sucked. Um... Going to class on Friday after you go to the square on Thursday night? I don't know. Well, I, 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 I didn't have Friday class after, like the first semester of my sophomore year, so like I haven't dealt with Friday class in a while. So Another one, to walking to class from the parking lot when it's still hot outside and being just drenched in sweat by the time you get in your classroom, that's a big bummer. Yeah, yeah, you're like, you're covered in just perspiration walking around that campus this time of the year. Thankfully for them today, though, it's not raining, but it's like overcast. Yeah, it is. But, okay, that's another one. We can lump that in there, too. Walking to class in the rain is awful, particularly when it's a class you have to go to, and it's like, damn it, i got to put on a rain jacket and an umbrella. I'm a, you say that um, if it was raining, I didn't have to go to that class. Um, Unless there was a test. Yeah, I don't know, man. Did you, did you ever skip a test on accident? Uh, no, you did? No, no, I didn't. I almost did. I forgot. Like I woke up like five minutes before class and had to have a friend drop me off. But uh, yeah, I never—I don't understand how you missed the test. I'll be honest, though. Um, yeah, I've told that story. I think on this podcast before. I was in a freshman geology class, and you got one drop test. And so we had some cat who presumably went the first day, did not come again, took his first test as a drop test. We're in the middle of the second test. We're like ten minutes in, big auditorium-sized classroom, and he comes slamming through the doors, and like he looks at the teacher, he's like, "Sorry, I forgot where it was." Yeah, so um attendance policies are BS. I'm sorry. If you can if you don't have to go to class to pass it, you shouldn't have to go. I agree, but you should also go to class if you want to pass because not going to class and trying to pass is makes it immensely more difficult. I always went to class, like I said, I mean there were times where I wouldn't go, but it was like I just felt like I wanted to get in a routine and have like I felt worthless if I just skipped an entire day's worth of class and did nothing. So you didn't have the class like that only cared if you showed up on test day? Like, like, I had a Western Civ class. I had plenty class. of classes with no attendance policies. Yeah, but no, I'm saying, like, I had a Western Civ class that literally we had four tests and two papers, and you, it, she didn't care if you showed up for any of the classes except for the test. I would just read the book and go take the test. Like, what was the point of going to class? Yeah, fair enough. Um, What else is on my list? Um, Crosswalks. Not a big crosswalk guy. Wait, from which perspective? You crossing it Me or you walking driving? and trying to go to class and, you know, some asshole in a Jeep trying to, like, hurry on and, like, you know, almost hitting me. Although there was always that rumor um, that if you, you got hit, tuition. you get free tuition. Um, I almost dove out and tested that one time but decided not to. Um, What's the worst thing that could happen? You could die? Yeah, exactly. Um, 
one thing I do miss about school is just being in school and not being in the real world. Yeah. Uh, there was nothing better than like, hey, it's 12 o'clock on a Monday and I'm done with class. I'm going to go take a nap. Yeah, that is nice to where you just have the random periods in the middle of the day to where it's like, well, if you're working, you don't really have these because you got to be doing stuff all day. But if you got like an 8 o'clock and a 1 o'clock, that four-hour period that you just yeah. justified to yourself, I can do whatever the hell I want because I still got another class. Um, yeah. See, I didn't ever have that because like, I, I made it like I had to have my classes back to back to back. I couldn't have breaks like that. Um, so that's nice. Um, I miss some of my teachers. Like, I always, like, whenever, I, like, I got, like, a cool teacher. Like, I had a teacher that became my landlord for two years. It was a cool <laughs> dude. Um, I had a couple of the, te- I really liked a couple of the, my teachers in grad school. Um, I like a teacher that'll bust, bust your balls. Like, if I come in and make some smart-ass remark to him, I need him to throw it back at me. Um, I had a couple teachers in grad school like that that kind of like got it. I really enjoyed that, just the camaraderie of, you know, hey, man, I'm not going to take your class too seriously, and I hope you know that, but as long as you're cool with it, I'm cool with it. <laughs> you didn't ever have the uh, pleasure of taking Wilkie, did you? Uh, yeah, I had Wilkie for oh, God, I investigative reporting. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's my dude. Yeah, he was cool. I liked Curtis's class. It was at 8 a.m., and our dear friend Lana Ferguson, who we worked with at the DM, <laughs> Uh, was with me in that class and was probably the only reason that I got out of there okay because uh, she helped me out a lot and I'd walk in 10 minutes late every day because it was a day to him. What did you investigate? Oh, man, I can't even remember what I did for that class. I, I honestly don't I have no idea. Um, My investigative reporting uh, teacher uh, asked me if I would investigate Ole Miss football. <laughs> oh, that would been not. Yeah, that would have been yeah. tough to tackle. Yeah, um, we got Let's see if I had any more. I had a couple more that I didn't write down that I'm trying to come up with at the top of my head. Oh, night class. Night class is a big bummer. Oh, oof. only had two of those. I had a couple in the business school that you had to take, basically. Now, granted, it's cool because most of the night classes offered in the business school is only one time a week, but it's two and a half hours from 6 to 30. So you're knocked out. It's like basically the rest of the week you're taking a 12-hour schedule. But that one Monday night after you've had a long day and you're going to sit in class from 6 to 8.30, it's like maybe if there were a bridge, I might jump. Um, did, did you have to, like, did y'all keep you the whole two and a half hours? It depended on the teacher. Like, something they had to a lot of the time just to get through the curriculum. But, like, every now and then they, we'd have a guy, like, throw us a bone at, like, 7.15. He'd be like, all right, y'all get out of here now. Um, <laughs> if you got a teacher that was a sports fan and you took a class in the fall, that was often nice because if you wanted to watch playoff baseball or yeah. put Monday night football – Something like that. That was pretty sweet. Um, anything else? Do you have anything you do or don't miss about school? Oh man, uh, I mean, you kind of nailed it. I, I miss school, but I don't like miss the school part of school. You know, like I miss everything. The else idea about and the school. lifestyle of school are cool. The logistics of it are kind of bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Like the one semester I took all my classes online was the best semester of my life. Uh, yeah, I never tried that. I've taken, I don't even know if I ever took an online class. Oh, buddy. I took like 12. I can't remember. I was a big winter session guy. I did winter session all four years of college. Ooh, I never did. I did an August intercession at Mississippi State. One, no, it was a May intercession at Mississippi State once. Uh, but no, other than that, I, I never, I didn't even do summer school. Ooh, I, here's one that I left out. I liked, uh, I liked walking into an early morning class. Like the one of the early morning classes sucked. But one of the benefit was, particularly when you were younger in school and, like, going out was more, like, acceptable on, like, school nights, uh, just trying to pick out the most hungover dude in there. 
Like there's clearly there's always one dude that's gonna have his head on the desk. Like his head is presumably throbbing. He's either putting his head on the desk because he's unconscious or he's trying to block out all any and all light. Um, I don't miss the guy that tells you how blackout he got the night before. I don't. Yeah, miss that. I, I, I don't even pay attention to that guy. I mostly just make fun of that guy. I, uh, <laughs> like just kind of like kind of egg him on. Like how many beers do you drink? That's pretty sick, man. Um, so, so, <laughs> so, so uh, that's pretty much all I had. That don't do and don't miss about school. Um, if you have any other submissions, send them to me. I'll read them on Wednesday show. If you're out of school and you really miss something about school, or you don't miss something about school, send it my way. Um, I always love feedback on the podcast. I had one gentleman tell me that uh, this podcast cuts his grass. So you're welcome. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Uh, I all seriousness, I enjoyed the feedback. That was cool. Um, Are you you a big grass cutter? No, I'm not a big grass cutter. That's my like uh, I. I it's not like I'm incapable of operating lawnmower and cutting grass, but the places I lived in college, the landlord most of the time would send a guy over to do it. I think that's more so dumbass college kids. They don't trust us. Um, but the house I currently live out, my uh, my roommate who owns the house really just enjoys it. Like, I think after work, yeah. like, kind of just, you know, not do something for 30, you know, just kind of unplug for 30 yeah. minutes. He likes it. So I just kind of let him do his thing. Yeah. If, See, I was, I- if I was asked to cut grass, I could do it. But, like, I just kind of let him have his moment. My uh, my dad, I moved back home for like two or three weeks, and my dad was, uh, the grass needed cutting, and I was just sitting around doing some, doing nothing. I was like, I'll go cut the grass. We have a pretty big yard. And I cut it, he got home, he was like, you cut the grass? I was like, yeah, he was like, I'm supposed to do that. All right, dad. So apparently people do enjoy cutting grass. Yeah, I think it's like therapeutic. Like, it, it's like, it's like you're infringing on their dojo. Um, <laughs> so, um, Chad Kelly is now a, I, we really buried the lead if you're talking about sports news. <laughs> We're 50-something minutes in this podcast, over an hour, and we're talking about Andrew Luck now. I have never – you want to talk about me being somewhat unplugged, kind of unplugged on Saturday. Like, we had a dinner. We were all having a good time. When that news hit my phone about Andrew Luck, I checked, like, 20-something times. I was like, this isn't real. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, so, so, all right, Chad suspended two games. What game do you have him starting by? Five. You're not, you're, not, you're not riding the Jacoby Brissett train? I think he could be okay, but I think they're going to suck anyway, and they're going to get six or seven games in and just be like, why not see what we have? <laughs> I mean, Five's a little ambitious. I'll actually go week eight. Is that fair? Okay. Yeah, I think that's fair. For the love of God, Chad, please get this right. I mean, he's caught so many breaks, man. Yeah, he has. For all the bad breaks you want to say he's gotten, even though they're self-inflicted, he's gotten some really fortunate ones, too. Yeah, I'm, I mean, Ole Miss kept him after the, the fight in Buffalo. He gets another chance, and, you know, even not excluding all the stuff that happened at Clemson, he gets another chance in Indianapolis after, I mean, just ruining a, a really good chance in Denver. I mean, come on, man. Like, get this one right. Because, look, if he gets the starting role, I think he's going to be in the league for a while. Um, yeah, no, I think he's got talent. I, I'm not as far going to go as far to say that because preseason's different than the regular season. I just sure. want to see what he has. You know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things where I have reason to believe what you said where he could be pretty good and last in the league for a while. I just want to see it. I want to see it in a real game. I don't think he ever got into a game against with Denver last year, did he? No, I don't know. I don't believe he got into a, 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 a regular season game. Um, But let's – turn over to the actual like news here first yeah um andrew luck retires at age 29 and as a guy who grew up a titans fan um you know he never lost to the titans but wow he was 11 and 0 against the titans in his career god um yeah but at the same time man 
I'm going to miss watching Andrew Luck play because he drug two really bad teams to AFC title games. He got beaten up his first couple years in the league because they didn't build around him to protect him on the offensive line. Um, it's sad. It's shocking because he's 29 years old. He's a quarterback prodigy. I mean, you've never seen, like, you talk about quarterbacks and understanding of the game and, like, like Rodgers, Rodgers probably has more physical tools than anyone living playing football right now. But Luck's understanding of the game is something you won't ever see as a generational talent. Um, they were going to be really good this year. They had a lot of young pieces on defense and a lot of cap space to spend money. Um, this sucks. Um, I'm just going to miss watching Andrew Luck play. Um, but at the same time, there's very few times where I'm very ever often shocked in sports, and this was one of them. I mean, I see the news. I later see – I don't believe it. I later see, like, him walking off the field before the formal press conference happens, getting booed, so that's the last time he walks out of Lucas Oil. It was just bizarre. Yeah, no, it absolutely was bizarre. Um, you say that's the last time he walks out of there – I feel like this is a guy that, like, sits out for a year and a half. He's like, you know what? I'm going to give it a go again. Um, but I also don't blame the guy either if he never puts on pads again. Uh, you know, look, people don't understand how tough the decision I'm sure that was for him. Oh, yeah. No, without a doubt. And so I saw – I hate to give credence to, like, the collection of 15 assholes on the Internet that have squat on some take that they know is controversial, and they basically just want the attention to have somebody to shit on them. So, like, Doug Gottlieb – and Dan oh, Dockage were basically calling him soft, like being like rehabbing because I think the actual tweet was rehabbing. I quit retiring because rehabbing was too hard is the most millennial thing ever. Man, y'all don't have any idea. That guy's dealt with chronic injuries for four years. If you watch the press conference, it's a dude that was mentally and physically just beaten down. He looked like he was in a really, really bad place mentally, and you just hate to see that from anyone. He deserves to be happy, and if this makes him happy, that's fine. I don't agree with everything Colin Cowherd said says, but I don't know if you saw this. He tweeted a photo on Saturday night that said one image can be a single image can be incredibly powerful, and it was a photo that I want to make sure I get her name right. Grace Hollers, I think you say it, is a photojournalist at the Indianapolis Star took of luck where it looked like he paused for a moment. And you can just see in this photo, you can just see the anguish in his face. And uh, you can just, I mean, in one image, you can see how badly a man is struggling with some giving up something that shaped pretty much his entire life, but also knowing he has to do it for his mental and physical health. I mean, it's, he looked like a tortured soul is the way I'll put it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, to call the guy soft for retiring is, uh, at best, asinine. It, I, don't I don't, almost don't want to focus on that, though, because yeah. they're doing that to get a reaction. That's yeah. the way the Internet works. And it's it's saying, like, like I hate it when people – like, this is what we do on the Internet now. With 15 people say that, it's like, well, to all you people, like, saying this about Andrew Luck, you're you're wrong. It's like, it's not really anybody. It's 20, well, it's 20 morons. I, I get what you're saying, but – a large collection of Colts fans booed the guy walking off the field, so they obviously had negative thought processes regarding him. Okay, so I'm actually going to give them not a pass on that, but I understand it in some ways. You're a week before the season. This is probably they've been excited as excited as they've been about a Colts team since Luck's first two years in the league, and then all of a sudden you just hear rumblings that he's retiring a week before the season. Like they're fans, they're going to react irrationally. Was that a good look? No. What is it the right thing to do for a guy that's poured out his heart and soul to try to get ready to play NFL Sundays for a through a you know 
just a barrage of injuries? No. Is it a really sour final note on Andrew Luck's Colts career if this is it? Yes, but part of me kind of understands the knee-jerk reaction from the fans. I guess, and, and look, I don't have a really an NFL team, or really, uh, I, so I'm not going to understand it, but God, that was a bad look. Uh, and, and like I said, I, I don't have an NFL team, and, and like you said, the Colts were supposed to be really good this year, and obviously he's a focal point behind it. But man, at some point, like if you can't play, you just can't play, you know? Yeah, exactly. And look, man, if this if if this was physical health aside, because I imagine I I Dan Orlovsky, who I believe is an ESPN commentator now, had a tweet thread, and this is probably the most I've ever given credence to Twitter as far as uh, um, as far as like analysis on like a big happening in sports. But he tweeted about how he watched. Um, the end of Calvin Johnson's career and he just watched him come in every morning and like you know as the injuries piled up you know I think the, the way he worded it is he's like I watched him come in at the facility at 5 a.m. every morning and like a once like joyful dude was just pretty much broken by the end of his career um, through just kind of pain whether it was mental and physical and so you know if he's not in a good place mentally forget the physical stuff like, yeah you, you gotta address that and if it's something that's not good for your mental health then he has every right to retire, and I'm, I'm I'm stating the obvious here. I just I genuinely the more I watched that press conference twice, and the second time I watched it, like the first time it was just shock, and I was like, wow, this is happening. The second time I really just felt bad for the guy. Oh yeah, I mean I felt terrible for him because look, he's probably look I'm not gonna say the greatest, but he's one of the greatest quarterbacks ever if he stays healthy. I mean I, I don't really think that's debatable. He had all the tools. He was extremely bright. Um, I mean, when he was healthy, he was dynamite. It, it's really unfortunate. Um, yeah, no, it, it really is. And, like, if you think this was some, like, an easy decision for him and he's just kind of, like, this is going to torture him for a while. If you think he's just walking away and, like, this, like it's all going to be bo- roses and butterflies, it's not, man. If you watch that press conference, he was really, really struggling with what to do about this. And it, sound, it at least appeared like he had been for a while. I think the head coach, Frank Reich, said, that he had a conversation with Andrew about it almost 10 days before that happened. So you knew this was brewing for a while, but there was just so little information about what was happening with Luck and whether he was going to play week one. Something was up. Obviously, I don't think he could have ever predicted it was this, but, man, I just felt bad for the dude, honestly. I hope he ends up okay. If he comes back and he's like he feels better physically and mentally and in two years wants to come back, awesome. But, like, I don't really fault the guy for walking away if he's, if he's in no. that bad a place. Yeah, man, and, and look, this doesn't matter. It's your job and everything. Imagine just being, I don't know, somebody that covers the, the Colts and you're showing up for a preseason game and all of a sudden Andrew Luck retires. Yeah, I bet they were drinking heavily late into the night. <laughs> it was just like, all right, just here to cover a pre. Oh, my God. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know. That's about all the thoughts I had on it. It's, it's sad because I'm going to miss watching Andrew Luck play football. So um, who's winning that division now? Houston. Yeah, that's what I figured. I think Tennessee, although you talk about a team this opens the door for, Tennessee, like, if this is Mariota's year, like, put up or shut up, man. Andrew Luck's gone. Deshaun Watson's young and injury-prone with no offensive line. Like, if you're Marcus Mariota and the Tennessee Titans, this thing's there for the taking. But at the same time, this is a fascinating division because Jacksonville's defense is still really good, and they have a quarterback that can throw. Four teams that can win that division, right? Oh, well, all, all four of them. You could say that. I don't that, know if the Colts still can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Three. Um, but you could say that about most divisions of football. This is the beauty of the NFL because AFC, NFC North. Um, 
Vikings, Packers, Bears, and who am I missing? Uh, Vikings. Oh, Lions. Yeah. Who wins that division? You can make an argument for three teams. Really, any team except for the Lions, right? We should, uh, yeah. And the Lions still have Matthew Stafford. We we could do this all day. AFC North. That's what I was going to say. We might as well just pick, I mean, we should pick division winners before the NFL starts. Let's save that for Wednesday. Okay. But my point being, that's the beauty of the NFL is a kick, with the exception of like a couple teams. But even Detroit, with like you would think is the worst team in that division, they still got Matt Stafford. Yeah. They improved yeah. the defense pretty well. Like he's he's no scrub. Yeah, Patricia's not not a great football coach. But other than that. Um. Uh, anyway, so that's about all I had. We've gone super long today. Uh, so consider this a football like the start of football present. This is like an hour and twenty five minutes now. Um. So. Long podcast. Unless you have anything else, I'm going to get going. We have the Monday press conference today. It's kind of starting oh, yeah. the week. I'm about to get to that right after we get done with this. Hey, I, I don't know if you saw Ole Miss announced Matt Crowell starting quarterback on okay, Saturday. Okay, I wish I had broken that news. I must have missed that. Um, they did on Twitter. They broke the news. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I don't, maybe that was just to get Matt Crowell pumped up. I don't understand that anyway. He won the quarterback competition. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that he was able to overcome that. Um. So, yeah, that's about all I had. I'm going to get out of here unless you got anything else. Nope, let's get out of here. All right, so the way we're going to do this in football season, I'm thinking Wednesday we do some picks, um, talk a little bit more about Ole Miss Memphis. Friday we're going to continue Mailbag Friday, but I'm also going to add some other stuff to it with football season coming around and stuff like that. So it will still be Mailbag Friday, but we're probably going to have other stuff planned for it is basically what I'm asking. Like, I may throw a guest or two in. We may do more picks. I don't really know. We may do some uh, sports gambling stuff. may have a guy come on. I don't know. But that's kind of how we're going to do things. So not much of a change. It's just going to get more content. So lucky you. Sounds good. Um, all right, so for Brian Scott Ripper, for Colin Brister, I am Brian Scott Rippy. The People's <laughs> Podcast will be back on uh, Wednesday. Damn it, I always do that. I always say, God. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, right. we'll be back at it on. Uh, we'll be back at it on Wednesday. A Super Talk Mississippi <laughs> Media Production.